Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to OCC. Today we're wrapping up this series of messages called Dangerous Prayers. And and so we're really glad that you've come today. I'm excited to... uh, to kind of arrive to the end of this series because I think today's message is really, it, it should really help bring even more focus to this um, series. And, and we've talked about how to move away from safe prayers that keep us in a comfortable place in life and move to a place where we ask God for very bold and specific uh, requests and we bring more dangerous requests to Him. And so, I'd like to begin today with a question, and so here's the question. Do you have any pet peeves? Yeah, pet peeves, pet peeves, things that, uh, you know, it frustrate or annoy you about what other people do. Yeah? Yeah? I see some nodding of heads. You don't need to tell us about them, but this is things that maybe you complain about or you, you do find annoying that other people do. I, I did a search and discovered of... Here are some of the top pet peeves. Line cutters. Anybody have that pet peeve where you're like, oh, when people cut in line? Whether it's like in an amusement park or where does that happen? What about, oh, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Apparently, apparently this may be an issue. At the grocery store, where else? DMV. How about, where? School. School. How about this? Like you're on the 91, you're, you're, you're in the carpool lane, you're about to get on that fast track lane, and then you've waited a while, and then someone like at the very last possible moment, you know, gets in there, and you've been waiting for 20 minutes in that line. All right, so there's the line cutters. Uh, what about the nail biters? You know, you don't, again, you don't need to, you know, does that, does that bug you when people are biting their nails? What about pole huggers? You know, what about slow, you're like, pole hugger? What's a pole hugger? <laughs> <laughs> Tree hugger, pole hugger, I, I, I don't know. Just maybe there are some that... No. We'll move on. <laughs> Slow walkers. Okay. How about slow drivers? Okay. Or how about the fast drivers? Just like, you know, they're flying, you know, the, the exhaust, like it scares you when they fly by you. Um what about the, the super loud motorcycle that is splitting lanes and it freaks you out because you're just like, uh, what about loud chewers? <laughs> Gum chewers, loud chewers. All We can go on and on about pet peeves that we might have. Uh, there's things that just, you like a certain way, I do too. If it's not, if it's not your way, you just kind of can drive you nuts, you know? One of the things that I have in my life is it's tied to driving. It's pet peeve is tied to driving. Um, I've been guilty of, of backseat driving, you know. Uh, it's hard for me to relax when someone else is in control and they're behind the wheel. I'd rather be the one in control of the, of the vehicle. Uh, and, and it just, it can get to me, especially can drive me crazy when people wait till the very last possible moment um, to exit the freeway. So it's like, you know, there's a sign. Five miles from now is the uh, Van Buren exit, let's say, you know. It's coming. Hey, it's coming. Two miles from now, it's coming. I'm, if I'm in the back seat or in the passenger seat, I'm just like, we're still in the fast lane, huh? <laughs> and it's like one mile, half a mile, and then all of a sudden, oh, 
I'm like, why did we need to go through this? You know, we could have, we could have planned. And I guess what it is, it reveals I'm kind of a control freak. Okay. Someone last service, I said that and they said, no, you're a control enthusiast. Let's rename ourselves. <laughs> Let's give ourselves a new name. They said, uh, it's not that I've, I've, and honestly, I guess I am a control freak in this area, and it's not that I've got an impeccable driving record, okay? I mean, I've had my share of accidents, uh, but still in my mind, I, I've, I've got this. Uh, I prefer to be in control. Now, God has a funny way of humbling us, doesn't he? Um, yesterday, I hit a parked car. A Mercedes at that. Uh, so anyway, I was distracted. I was distracted. I was parked myself, and uh, I, I was distracted, and I was really close to a wall, and uh, so close that I couldn't like let let my like my wife in because I was too close to the wall. So I was like, "Oh, I'll move forward, and and then we can open the door because the door couldn't even open." And uh, well, I have a longer truck, and so my turning radius is a little. Uh, it's like turning a semi sometimes, I guess. And so uh, I'm driving forward, and I, I'm like, okay, now I'm clear. To, I didn't even think about it. It just happened very quickly. And I, like, turn way too quickly, and I crunch the side of this red Mercedes. And I'm like, what is that noise? <laughs> What's happening? And it's just like, I'm like, oh, no. And uh, sure enough, I'm thinking, maybe nothing happened. Well, something happened, you know. I was like, God has a funny way of humbling us, doesn't he? I mean, there, there's a lesson for me in this. Uh, I'm not sure what it is yet. I'm in the middle of it, and I'm, I will grasp it, but I'm, 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 I recognize some of it. But back, back to pet peeves. There, there are often pet peeves that are linked to this, our preferences in life, like being in control or just doing it my way. Or What's interesting about the area of preferences and pet peeves is that without realizing it, these things can create huge walls between us and other people. Our preferences in life can really divide us because here's, here's what I've noticed. We're drawn towards people who are like us and, and we push away from those who um, are different than us. Would you agree this is true for you? I mean, you're more drawn most of the time to a comfortable, you know, like a comfortable connection with someone who you feel like, oh, they, they think like I do or they are more like me. And so our differences can really divide us in, in a bunch of ways. Ethnically, gender, age differences, social classes, personality, wiring. You're like, oh, I, we understand each other. and uh, Or politically, there's just on and on and on. But the reality in life is we're not all the same. And so because of that, our differences just clearly divide us. And so, and I love to say that in church, within the church and the body of Christ, this, I would love to say that this isn't a problem, that differences don't divide us, but that's just not the case. Churches are notorious for conflict. Here's some stats. 25% of churches experienced conflict in the last two years that resulted in people leaving. This is a study done uh, from Duke University. Here's another st- uh, stat. Every year, more than 19,000 congregations experience major conflict. A lot. That's 75%. Is this next stat? That's 75%. You know, during the last five years, of churches have experienced conflict. This just indicates this is a pretty severe problem that people would, you know, leave church over conflict. Now, here's another stat. Only one in 20 pastors remain in the ministry until retirement. Whoa. 
That makes me a little concerned, you know. And, you know, the, the reasons are, there's a variety of reasons, but that's what, I'm not, I'm not a math person. I think that's 5%. Is that correct? So 5%. You know, they go, and there's people that are in ministry for maybe a decade or a few decades, but according to this, very few actually retire in ministry. Uh, there's a list of reasons. There's books written about this, but one of the books is actually called Pastors at Risk. You know, it charts out the things that you'd expect, moral failure, uh, burnout. One of the other major issues, though, is conflict. It's conflict in the church, actually, that just wears on pastors to where it grinds a pastor to a point where they're like, I'm going to do something different. And keeping a group unified and focused on, on mission together is a real challenge, you know. Now, these stats are really, I think they're sad to think about. Hopefully, it'll cause us to pray more for, for our unity. And this is why this message is so important. The fragmented experience that we see in the culture actually easily finds itself into the church. And the good news is that Jesus actually came to bring unity to the church. He, he, he actually prayed for this issue of unity. In, in his kind of final moments with his uh when he was with his disciples, he, he prays for this specific issue. And so this final dangerous prayer is, is unite us. We have a role to play to protect and to build the unity of the church rather than to divide or damage this, uh, this church family. And so we have some enemies to deal with. Enemies that we have to focus on dealing with if we're going to achieve the goal of unity. Um, the first enemy is this. It's me. One enemy to my or to our unity is just it's each one of us. It's it's our it's our preferences, it's our pride, it's our insecurities that live inside of us, and we need God's help to overcome these issues of pride and preferences. And the Bible calls this the flesh. We have a a part of us that is the old nature. It's still very much opposed to doing life God's way. And so that tug on your heart that still says go. Go for what you want. That's still there, right? Even if you follow Christ, it's still a real struggle. So each one of us, we have to battle with our own hearts, our own sinful and fleshly hearts. And we have to fight this tendency to, you know, that causes us to think we deserve to get what we want here. Pride and preferences it just can create a wall. Now, quick recap on this whole series. We've been looking at these prayers. Search me. Break me. Uh, Strengthen me, send me, and then today unite us. I wanted to finish with a me because it just seemed appropriate, but unite me, I think it just doesn't, grammatically, I was like, I don't know if I could say that. Unite me? It kind of, you could say it, but anyway, unite us. This is a prayer that's asking God to keep us united. And this may seem like a pointless prayer, especially based on the stats that we just showed. It might think, like, why would my prayer make any difference? Think of all the tens of thousands of churches that are experiencing conflict. Who are we to think that we can get past that? Who are we to think we can stay unified through the years? How People are always going to disagree. People are always going to be divided. What's the point of this prayer? Um, I, I think there's a real important um, focus that you see Jesus giving to this and then the church leaders who helped uh, launch the Christian movement. They focus on this issue of unity. So let's start from Jesus' perspective. In fact... This is the top of your listening guy. Jesus' prayer for unity is what fuels the mission that he's given to us. 
Jesus himself was on mission. He was on a mission to please the Father. And all Christ followers joined Jesus in that mission to move things forward. And without unity, we cannot do the work that God wants us to do. We end up working against one another. So check out Jesus' prayer. This is uh, for his disciples just before Jesus goes to the cross. He prays this. He prays, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Their message is the disciples. So he's got the close followers, the disciples, you know, Peter, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, and on there's these list of disciples that are really close to him and, and have been with him through his ministry. They have a message that they're de- about to declare. Jesus is about to die. He's about to rise from the dead. He knows what he's about to walk through. So he's praying. Back up again to that. Uh, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know, we are, for those of you who follow Christ, you are these people that he's praying for. When Jesus says, I pray for those who will believe in me through the message of the disciples, that's the, that's the generational impact of the, the message of the disciples, what they shared. So Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for the church here. Verse 21, that all of them, meaning us, the followers, may be one. And then I added this in. This is, um, I didn't add this in. I didn't write this into the Bible. But what I mean is... I, I didn't include that in the listening guide, but then I added this in last night because I wanted you to see the thought and the progression of this passage. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I'm in you. He, he's referencing here, this is a reference to the fact that God is, is one that you may have heard of the Trinity, the mystery of how God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, the Trinity. It's a mystery for us to get our minds around this, um, but there is a unity there. The Father lays out the plan. The Son, Jesus, he, He lives out the plan. He executes the plan in the flesh. The Spirit of God helps the plan. He, he supports the plan. There's this, there's this unity that's expressed. So He's praying that we might be one as He is one with the Father, And may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look at the next verse. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Then he says, I in them and you in me. Now, this issue of unity that he's praying for, it reflects the glory. The previous verse talks about the glory that's displayed there in the Trinity even. There's a glory that God gives and that he makes available to us and he expresses through us if we're unified. I've given given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Our unity reflects the glory of God. When we're working together as one, that reflects the glory of God. The word glory in the Bible, it's it's a word that means weighty, heavy, weighty. it also has this idea that uh, once, when you're in the presence of something that's glorious and weighty, your head turns. It's like you're walking down the street and you see something that you've never seen before. It's so majestic, so magnificent. It, it's, it, the, the glory of God, it turns heads. It causes people to pause and go, whoa, what is that? And that, that's, that's what Jesus is praying for, that there would be a unity in the relationships within the body of Christ that the world would actually see something different say, wow, that is unusual. That is different. 
And they're, they're drawn to know more about that. Look at verse 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity is rare. And, and whenever we see a group that's unified, it's intriguing because it's so drastically different than the world around us. So Jesus, he prays for this. He prays for the future Christ followers to be united because of how attractive and unique it is to see unity. Now, I mentioned earlier that one of our enemies is just, it's ourselves, it's me. And then the other enemy is, is Satan. God's enemy. If you've committed your life to Christ, it's not just God's enemy, now he's your enemy. And one of Satan's greatest strategies is to divide the unity of the church. Because if he can do that, then we remain weak and we remain ineffective towards the mission. So check out this description from Peter on the enemy and his, his, one of his tactics. Peter writes this, Be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is powerful imagery of a lion that is stalking and, and is looking for its prey, looking for weakness in a pack. Here's a picture of a, a stalking lion. When a lion finds a pack of animals that has been divided or that is separated, they're no longer together, it can more easily continue to divide the pack and take out the slower and the younger animals. And it, it finds its prey and it devours it. And in the same way, this is what Satan does. He, he, he prowls and he stalks around scanning for weaknesses and opportunities that make it easy for him to devour and to destroy. And one of the key weaknesses that he locks onto is when he detects disunity and division. That is a prime opportunity for him to, to pounce. And not to pounce in order to play with something. Like sometimes you see lions at the zoo and they're playing with a ball. Oh, that's cute. You know, that's, that's neat. Uh, that's a very different idea than what this passage is describing about a lion, right? Looking for someone to devour. The word devour literally means to swallow up or to gulp down. His goal isn't to just pat you and like play with you like a little ball and with the fuzzy pur- paw and purr next to you. His goal is also not to just wound us or slow us down. His goal is destructive. Now, I've been to the zoo and, and lions are powerful. They're these amazing animals. But I, I haven't seen them up close during feeding time. I imagine it's probably not pretty though. Now what Peter likely had in mind was that. Feeding time. And what Peter likely had in mind was not the zoo in San Diego or L.A. What he likely had in mind was the gory spectacle of lions slaughtering people in the Roman Colosseums. Because that was, <laughs> that was the world he lived in, ruled by the Romans. And that was their uh, form, one of the forms of entertainment. And uh, many Christians suffered through that reality, through dying in a Colosseum. Uh, now, we forget that reality of the enemy and we can treat each other like the enemies and be divided when we don't get what we want but disunity is devastating because of what it invites into the body and as and satan he wants to do that he wants to divide us so we forget for just a moment who the real enemy is if he can get christians or churches distracted and, and into disunity and uh hanging too tightly to their preferences and getting peeved at each other then he'll do that 
And Jesus knew this, and so his prayer captures the need to be unified. Look at Jesus' prayer again. Just as I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus came to unite us. And we work and when we work in unity, the church is unstoppable. And if you read church history, you see, wow, when the church was synced up and when they were dealing with their their unity, like they were aiming and protecting unity, they did some amazing things through the years. And unity fuels the mission. Disunity disrupts it. This is why we need to pray, unite us. Now, how is this a dangerous prayer? How is this dangerous? Here's why. This is where it gets real personal. Praying for unity is a danger to our personal agenda and our preferences. If I'm for the mission, the big picture, that's dangerous for me personally because that means I'm probably not going to get everything that I want. My own agenda, my own preferences, I'll all need to lay that aside time and time again for the sake of the bigger picture and the common mission that we're after. And in the first century, as the Christian church was beginning to emerge, there was just a, a variety of people that started banding together from very extremely different backgrounds. You had slaves, you had masters, you had men, women. You had uneducated, educated. You had poor, you had rich. You, you know, men, women. You just have this, this very diverse group who comes together around Jesus and his principles and his way of life. And, and they start banding together and start working on forming uh, this, uh, this Christian uh, community and movement. And you can imagine the issue of disunity cropped up right away. Well, we don't do it that way. That's not who I am. I'm not comfortable with that. That's your way of living. That's your preference. And so after Jesus uh, ascends to, to heaven and his followers, the disciples, begin to move things forward, this becomes a concern. So look at Paul's instructions to Rome, the church in Rome, regarding this issue. He, he writes, Romans 15, We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, for the good of the neighbor, so to build him up. What he's saying is we have strengths, and our strengths are given to us in order to support uh, one another, to help others. My aim, your aim, with your strength should be to help other people through the use of your gifts, through the use of your strengths. Out of Christ's love, we should use our strengths to serve people around us. That actually builds the unity of the church. Now, this sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Yeah, I want to bring my strengths. But again, remember how much we like our own way. If you're strong, the temptation is to relish in your strengths, and it's easy to then look down on, on people who you would say, oh, they're weaker. They don't have these strengths that I have. And you can do that out of arrogance. Or if you're weaker and you look at your life and you think, man, I'm not as strong as them. I'm not, I don't have the skills and the gifting and the wiring that they have. I, I'm just weaker. And what can happen in your life is you can resent those who have more strength in the church than you in your mind. And you can begin to get bitter at people or bitter at God. And so arrogance and bitterness are really what we're praying against when we're asking God to unite us. That we're praying against our own, our own arrogance and our own bitterness that can rise up in, in, our, in our hearts. And that's why it's a dangerous prayer. It's dangerous because we, if we pray unite us, it forces us to get past ourselves and it just makes us all uncomfortable and pretty vulnerable.
We're in a place where we're like, uh, God, you're going to have to protect me in this. And there'll be points where, where we'll offend each other. And we, what are we going to do with that? Well, according to the stats, people, what people do is they just leave. <laughs> they stay offended and they leave and they find a new place until they offend people there or get offended there. And then they leave that church. And they leave that church. And you can see why those stats make a lot of sense. So why, why pray unity? Or why pray unite us? Uh, two, two core reasons. One is because we need each other. Back up a few chapters in, in Romans. Chapter 12, Paul writes about and describes Christians in this way. He says, just as each of us, this is within the church, just as each of us has one body with many members. He's talking about your physical body. Every single person in the room has a physical body. You have different members of your body, meaning different parts. You have hands, you have arms, you have legs, you have nose, you have, you know, all, you have these members of your body. Just as your body has many members, all those members don't have the same function. Your hand has certain functions, your foot has certain functions, your nose has certain function. Just as that's true in your body, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We're very similar. You play a specific role. You, if you're a Christ follower and you're a part of this, you'd call this your church home. You, you, you've been given some, some gifts and some strengths. You're wired a certain way, you have personality a certain way that, that is intended to serve a certain function here. And a healthy body can move forward. A healthy body can move forward when we're playing our role well, when we're active in the body, using our strengths and our personality and our wiring, and when we actually put energy into our involvement. And so this prayer, God unite us, is so important because we have strength in our diversity. We can help different people. We can serve in different ways. Yet as one team, we can actually come together and make a huge difference in our community. And even when we reach out beyond this area, we can do things because of this issue that Paul is bringing up. Now, the power of a team that's unified is unmistakable. It's unmistakable when you have a team that is working well together. Alone, by yourself, you could never do what a group could accomplish. Now, here, here's a picture of a couple of horses joined together. Now, a single draft horse can pull a load of, of up to about 8,000 pounds. Uh, the strength involved in that is hard to imagine. You and I, we could never do that. You know, we couldn't all alone just pull 8,000 pounds. But a single draft horse that has that kind of power, they can pull 8,000 pounds. So we can speculate what would happen if you hook up two draft horses together and, and you would think, instantly you'd think, well... Two times 8,000 equals what? 16,000. That's a lot. Well, when you actually do this and you link them together, you'd be wrong in thinking they can pull 16,000 pounds. They can actually pull three times the amount of one. And so they can pull 24,000 when they're tied together like this. Two draft horses. They can get more to, done together. But still, there's more. If What I learned was this. If you train the draft horses... Not just tied on it, but if they're trained to pull together, they can pull four times the amount as a single horse. And so two trained draft horses can pull 32,000 pounds. That's amazing. In our, in our own way, we have proven why we need each other. We started this church as a team, and year after year, God keeps sending teammates and adding to this team 
We share a common mission and we have, we hold very tightly to some values. We call them the heart attitudes that protect the team. And we really do need each other. And we can, we can do so much if we're unified. More than just you can do if you just say, ah, I'm going to go be the church. And people try to do, try to do that. There's, there's Christian books about people leaving the church because they're done with, they're done with it for whatever reason, whether it's preferences or conflict, and they're going to go be the church all by themselves. We'll try lopping off your arm and seeing how effective that is to get things done. That's a picture of a person trying to disconnect from the body and be effective for the kingdom and for the common mission of what God wants to do. We need each other. We, we can't, we can't operate, um, independently from, we are interdependent. The second reason is this, because the world will see God's love. This is what Jesus was praying for in John 17. When we're unified, the world sees who God is. They see God's love through us. Romans 15, going, moving back to Romans 15, this is actually a prayer from Paul. He prays this specific prayer. And you, you can pray this same prayer. You can memorize these verses and pray this and help let this guide you to pray for our unity. Paul prays this for the church in Rome. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. That's a, that's a uniting prayer. So that, here's why, with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And after the prayer comes this challenge from Paul. Then he says this. Now again, this is to the church. He's speaking specifically to the church about how they're going to relate to one another within the church. He says this. Accept one another. You know, again, there's men and women. There's different. There's educated, uneducated, poor, rich, slaves, free. He's accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This is about bringing glory and honor to God who is one in his own nature, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is one way we can, we can do that. And Paul had a few main ideas in this. One is we should pray for God to give us the spirit of unity. That's something important. Paul's praying this. He's, this is actually for us a reminder. We, I need to pray for this, that God would give us the spirit of unity. That we'll believe and speak the same things. That we'll be unified as the body. Um, this goes back to not allowing our preferences to be a dividing wall. Uh, our unity is so important. It brings honor and praise to God. Then Paul challenges the church with that statement in verse 7. Accept one another. Again, to the church. The wording here in the Greek, it literally means to welcome one in. To welcome one in. So within the body, what Paul has in mind is, hey, yeah, you're all different. Look around. He's like, look around. It's a hodgepodge of people there in the church of Rome. Welcome one another. Literally, welcome. This is like greeting someone with open arms. Paul's like saying, open your arms to each other. Acceptance is really a picture of, of love. And everyone, us, every one of us, we want to be accepted. It's, it's something that is across the board for people. We want to be loved and accepted. And when Christ followers do this, this is like a megaphone proclaiming God's love. And the megaphone is shouting, hey, you can be accepted because Christ has accepted you. We can accept each other because Christ has accepted each one of us. With all of our sin, with all of our preferences, with all of our divisions, with all of our struggles, Christ has accepted you. He's 
made a way for you through his shed blood, through his body being offered up for you to, to connect with the living God. He's accepted you. Therefore, Paul's saying, accept one another. He's saying, within the body, open your arms. I know there's preferences. I know there's different ways of doing things. But here in this church, this is the high priority. This is the hope of the world. And it's really what the world longs for, is where they would see something that is is distinctive and unique. And so, this is a challenge to us. This is the challenge that lies before us as a church and our, our world really, really desperately needs to see displays of unity, don't we? So, we're going to pray, and I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage. And we invite you to get real specific here as we wrap up. Pull out the, or just look at the bottom of the, the listening guide. My next step today is to let go of, and get real specific. Go ahead and think through, what is the pet peeve? What's the preference? What's the agenda that is... That is driving division, whether in your family or in the church family or your relationships. What is the what is the area that you need to choose to let go of for the sake of the mission and the unity and ask God to help you in this? And then next, would you pray for a spirit of unity among among us this week? Pray pray for us as a group. Pray that we would be unified. And you can use John seventeen and Romans fifteen as a guide to pray this week. So let's do that together. Lord, it is our desire that you would be pleased with what you see occurring here at Orange Crest Community Church. I thank you, Father, for the diversity of this group. Thank you so much for uh, the way you've wired us and fit us together intentionally. Lord, you brought people that uh, through the years have uh, energetically linked arms to move forward your kingdom thank you Lord for blessing the ministry here and and the work that we've been at here as a group thank you for the strong unity we have experienced Father I ask you to unite us and protect us protect us from division Lord sometimes the division starts within so protect us Lord from division that starts in our own hearts or how the enemy may be trying to draw off draw away from the pack and from the church family individuals who where we would want to drive forward our own preferences or our own agenda our own um, whether that's driven through pride or hurt or whatever it is Lord I pray you protect us from that help us to, to catch that early on in our hearts when we see us being drawn away and because the impact and the result the consequences is devastating Father so I pray for protection from the enemy and his work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Lord protect us through the summer as we a lot of folks are traveling um, routines get changed and we can let things slip in these seasons so Father protect our our unity in our heart for uh, this church family Lord help us to pray for one another even when at points when folks are away Lord I pray that we would be strengthened Lord through our prayer help us in our families Lord uh, to aim to, to team well and to stay clear with one another to get on the same page Lord and, and please help us Father in this area um, amongst our friends here Lord amongst others that are different than us Lord help us to Again, work to accept one another just as you've accepted us, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's Word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.